1: With Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment.
0: you need an inspiration he's a lot and friends with some revelations little known back to the day every little thing's gonna be a-okay a-okay hey everyone new episodes of little known facts drop every monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today. In 1996, his father became the royal family vicar, and my guest has had the opportunity to sing for the queen. Welcome Julian Ovenden to the podcast. a Hey, everyone. My guest today is the Screen Actors Guild award-winning actor Julian Ovenden, Julian lives in England, but has had an incredible career working on both sides of the pond, with roles on Broadway, The West End, television, and film. He has starred on Downton Abbey as Charles Blake. He plays Bobby Kennedy on the British series The Crown, and played his brother John F. Kennedy on the American series Smash. He is a recording artist with three solo albums and sings in concerts all over the world. His latest role, playing William De Nogaret, a Machiavellian lawyer for King Philip of France on the television series Nightfall for the History Channel. Just started this week and I got to see it last night and he was amazing. Welcome, Julian, to the podcast.
1: Thanks very much for having me.
0: So many of us know about American early history from the musical Hamilton, and I learned so much about this time, you know, in 1290, about the knights. And so I was going to ask you if this was something you were familiar with or did you learn it by researching the part?
1: I have to say, I had a sort of basic rudimentary kind of understanding of who the knights were. You know, they were these quite a very powerful but mysterious um, religious army, I I suppose. And they were set up to kind of protect Christians who made pilgrimages to the the Holy Land and to protect Christianity and to protect, you know, the religious artefacts. And our story sort of takes place really when they're sort of the decline and fall of the Knights Templar, when they've been kicked out of the Holy Land, and they're existing in little sort of sets all over Europe. And our show is based in in Paris, um and they built the you know medieval paris in um on the back lot of the the sets, the film studio in in Prague, which was an amazing, incredible huge undertaking. It's um, really impressive sets. And yeah, so it's, it's really a show about them kind of trying to reestablish themselves in a new area. And also the power struggles, the sort of religious uh, wrangling, I think that goes on at this particular, particular time in history. So there's quite, there's quite a lot of textures in the show, and quite a lot happening.
0: How do you say your character's name? I don't want to butcher it again.
1: William De Nogaret is how I say it. I think I think that's probably how, I think that's probably how the French would pronounce it. I mean, we're not using French accents. Read a review actually yesterday or two days ago, saying why aren't they? Why aren't they all speaking in French accents? Well, I think it would be slightly ridiculous,
0: <laughs> If that's the case, we might just use French actors, might we not? So, was William De Nogaret? Was he a real person?
1: He was a real person. You know, I think one of, the, one of the great things about this show is we try and stick as, as much as possible uh, to the real history. Obviously, there are some licenses. You want to make it entertaining. You want to keep the viewers excited by the show. And sometimes you have to take some license with some of the dates and some of the, you know, sort of characteristics of people. But my, my character is very much involved in the politics of the time. He was a modernizer. He was an atheist. Um, He's the only, I suppose, the only non-believer in the show. You know, the show is chock full of, I suppose, religious fundamentalists who sees through all that. And uh, his parents were killed by a previous pope. Um, And he's a sort of self-made man, very brilliant, clever lawyer. An advisor to the to King Philip of of France, and so there's quite a lot written about him, which is which is which is good actually because it gave me a lot of research. Material. Did you
0: have to audition for this part? I did. What was that like?
1: Um, well, it was well, I was it was okay, I think. <laughs> well, you got a, it. <laughs> anyway, I got it, yeah, which is a rare occurrence.
0: That is so not true. Having lived with you on YouTube for the last week, watching everything, you know, I could get my hands on, were there multiple reads for it or did you go in once? I think they
1: were wondering which part I was right for. So I think I went in a couple of times. Um, but it's, it's quite rare, actually, I mean, I don't know what conversations you have with actors nowadays about the audition process, but it's changed somewhat. It's actually quite rare to meet another human being whilst going through the you know the process. It used to be, I remember the first time I went to Los Angeles about twelve years ago, and for a pilot, I, I remember doing about seven or eight. know physical meetings to actually get the job nowadays it's all done on iphones you you know i can i can be doing i can be sitting here recording a, a scene for i don't know whatever it may be the pokemon movie which i'll be doing on monday the audition or the film the audition unfortunately and i can and it can be sent off within two minutes and someone in in you know someone in some sky rising in Culver City or in uh, no, Burbank. Julian, it's here.
0: me. I wanted to tell all the actors out there, all those self-tapes that they're doing that they think no one is watching, they are actually sent to me. And I want <laughs> you to know, <laughs> I'm watching. Good. Did you in fact self-tape for Nightfall or did you actually get to meet
1: people? I met another human being. That
0: might be why you got it. Maybe. Well, speaking of accents, what is remarkable to me is... Both in a lot of the singing that you've done, you know, when you sing Rodgers and Hammerstein or other big American musicals, you have a perfect American accent. You do a perfect American accent on Person of Interest and obviously in Smash and other shows you've done here. You mentioned that 12 years ago you came to L.A. for the first time. Was that the beginning of your auditioning for American roles? In earnest,
1: I think yes. I mean, I had done a few little bits and bobs, I think, before that. But I, I kind of, I'd done quite a lot of period drama before then, and I wanted to sort of broaden my skill set, I suppose, and broaden my experiences. I, it wasn't like I wanted to become famous. I think a lot of people, you know, come to LA uh, for pilot season because they, are you know, sort of they want to be they want to be big in movies or big in TV. It was more. I mean, it sounds sort of slightly pious and altruistic, but I. You know I wanted to be stretched as an actor and I, I didn't want to play the same kind of types of parts and with an American accent or with any accent other than English because we you know our class system, you can really be be anything and I feel like i I you know open myself up to lots more opportunities um, and i I used to have a sort of phobia about accents. I was quite I didn't think I was very good, but I've sort of learned how to do it now and I really enjoy the process of taking on a new a new language, which is basically what it is.
0: So I sort of buried the lead by starting off that that comment with your being able to sing magnificently in these American musicals. Where did this love of performing begin? Did you grow up listening to cast albums? Where did all of this passion happen?
1: I mean, I did have a musical upbringing. Um, I was a chorister when I was a kid at St. Paul's Cathedral in London. So I I had a fairly, fairly heavy duty sort of musical upbringing um, from the age of seven, which meant that I was doing, you know, three or four hours of music a day.
0: How did you know that you could sing at such an early age? Was that something that you discovered? Did people go like, wow, Julian has an amazing voice? Where was it through church? Uh, Maybe. I
1: mean, my dad's a vicar and it was a way of they didn't have an awful lot of money, my parents, and it was a way of. You know, as a way of affording a good education, frankly, um, and it certainly paid my way through. You know, some you know great schools and you know great university. But in terms of sort of musical work, um, musical, you know, cap with a capital M, I had no, I had no real appreciation really for anything. I mean, I the first time I properly listened to, I guess, a, a, a musicals when I auditioned for a Merrily We Roll Along.
0: That was your introduction to Sondheim.
1: It was, yeah. Um, and I didn't know, I just didn't know it. I didn't, I, it wasn't part of my musical diet. So it's been really rather nice to sort of, you know, discover things as I've gone along. But now I would, I would class with some of my favorite music, particularly the music of Rodgers and Amstein and Jerome Kern and Irving Berlin, and Gershwin, et cetera, et cetera.
0: So you kind of immersed yourself in that later on in life.
1: I did, I suppose, Yeah.
0: So was Merrily We Roll Along? Was that your first West End musical?
1: Uh yeah, it was. A, it was at a wonderful theatre called the Donmar Warehouse. Yeah, yeah. My husband's small, worked there. Yeah, it's a small little boutique theatre.
0: Was that when Sam Mendes was running it?
1: This was when Sam was running it. Exactly. It was. I think his two or three jobs before he left. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful space very intimate and it had the reputation still has a reputation for for sort of deconstructing i suppose established works or doing doing pieces of work like merrily that hadn't quite succeeded in the past yeah and it was my it was my second job actually and it really kind of gave me a great you know it was a great help to me it's really started my career off and it was an amazing it was an amazing experience on many levels. One, to be working with, you know, Steve Sondheim and, you know, playing a part that is sort of semi...
0: Autobiographical. Oh, yes. So he was there?
1: He was there, oh yeah. He God. was there for quite a lot of it.
0: Oh, that's not intimidating at all.
1: <laughs> well, I for me, it, at that stage, it wasn't... I mean, I knew he was a kind of big, you know, he was a big deal. And if, it, and if I was doing something now with him, I'd probably be a little bit more, I don't know a little bit more starstruck i just didn't sort of it didn't register with me on that kind of level and he was delightful and rewrote stuff and you know there were there were moments where we'd both be sitting at the piano because i had to play quite a lot in the show and um yeah it was was, it's a kind of amazing amazing experience and the show was a massive hit should have transferred but because of politics it never did um because george firth decided that he didn't he wasn't, a, I don't know, he didn't approve the version that we did. or uh, I don't know, there, because there's quite a few versions. He sure. was going to go to Broadway, but, but, never, but never made it, unfortunately.
0: So that was the beginning of a career that has really been able to go back and forth between uh, musical experiences and non-musical experiences, which is a really extraordinary thing. There aren't that many actors who can kind of bounce around in that way. Do your agents ever get confused about how to direct you or what you want to do, or do you just throw everything out there and see what makes sense?
1: You know, I'd love to have a bit more choice. I mean, I think most of us being actors would have a bit more choice. I'm, I'm, I've done my best to try and, you know, have a career that pays, you know, for a living, but also have having a career that is exciting and is constantly... You know, challenging, and I, I get bored quite easily. And I try very hard to kind of mix it up. I don't do musical after musical. And it's harder in England, although, you know, I've spent a lot of time in America where it's, it, you can go from a musical to a film. To a television show, to a play, people are much more, I suppose, open to that. In England, it's we are a bit more snobbish about it.
0: Do you mean that people get sort of pigeonholed? You do this, or you do this, or they're less willing for you to to do both? Yes,
1: and there are many people who just don't who just do musicals, and you know. So I am, I suppose, I am in the I am in the minority. There's not many people, I guess, who do who do what I do, and I'm proud of that. And I feel also, I feel it makes me a better a better actor, because I think some of the, some of the stuff you have to do in musicals is really, really hard, you know, in, in a, in a wonderful Chekhov play, you have, the, you know, have 80 pages to, to, you know, to really, uh, be very detailed and very, you know, very thorough about a character on musicals. Sometimes you just have three lines,
0: <laughs> right? And then you burst into song
1: you know, and then you have song, which obviously helps. It, it's, it's a different kind of discipline. You know, I enjoy it all really.
0: So you said that you grew up a chorister and I'm from Teaneck, New Jersey, and that was not a word that I grew up with. Does that mean just someone who's in a chorus? Choir. Um, okay. It means Choir. a
1: boy singer.
0: Okay. So I'm going to use that word all the time now. So as a chorister, when did you switch gears? And obviously you do performances all over the world, but you are an opera trained singer with this incredible tenor voice. When did you switch gears?
1: I, I sang at. Uh, in a choir in my Oxford I went to Oxford uh, University I studied music there and I sang in a a choir there and I guess I I got to a stage sort of halfway through my time in university where I I felt like I needed to decide what I was going to do and one avenue I suppose would have been to to continue to sing and to do another two or three years postgraduate training at a you know music college but I kind of was impatient I wanted to get going I had a I had a sort of motor inside of me that wanted to perform I wanted to create um, and I didn't want to be in any more institutions Um, and I decided that I should you know I did an acting course after I left university a a one-year postgraduate course and I realized you know after about four or five days that Uh, That's what I wanted to do. I was with the people that really excited me. And I just I just knew that, you know, that was that was the path. And it wasn't like I was turning my back on music because I felt like I could always use it. But I just felt, you know, the world um, was was right for me.
0: Did you have a family that was supportive of this idea? You know, most parents are quite trepidatious about their children pursuing a career in the arts. Uh, what was your family's response to that?
1: Um, pretty good, to be honest with you. That's um, nice. I mean, now I'm a parent myself, I can sort of understand it better. Mm. You know, if my son said, "Oh, you know, I want to be a a dancer or an actor," or I, you know, I, I mean. I mean I'm I'm going to be I'm going to support him whatever he wants to do whatever makes him happy but I guess there would be a part of me having had the experience myself knowing that it's that it is a hard tough road um but I think if you're going to do it you just got to go and do it
0: Was it tough for you or did you sort of break through pretty quickly
1: Um I think it's still tough Yeah um I mean there are wonderful things about it I'm very very grateful for the work that I've had and um the career that I've had you know, I'd be lying to, you know, if I told you that it was plain sailing the whole time. I mean, there's a lot of insecurity, Um, just trying to manage day to day life sometimes can be really tricky. And, you know, you know, a lot of things, a lot of things don't go your way. There's a lot of rejection for you know for random reasons but it's a wonderful thing you meet wonderful people and get to travel and you know sometimes I don't have to get up in the morning which is a joy and um, you know and work with with brilliant brilliant you know the geniuses of our day
0: have you had to do other jobs along the way that weren't acting to keep this going
1: uh no I uh, luckily I haven't no and I am I guess I'm you know I I'm in the minority there. Mm. Um I might do in the future who knows.
0: Well um, not if Pokemon comes your way. <laughs> Which I'm feeling as we speak I'm feeling better and better about that aren't you?
1: Yeah I am I'm feeling it. I really am <laughs> feeling
0: it. So there really wasn't a time where you felt like I'm going to walk away from this.
1: Um I think um no there have been times when I'm like I'm fed up with being told no mm. I'm fed up with not being in control yeah and um, you know I'm fed up with playing this role when I should be playing that role all the things that I think most people you know I think everyone whether you're Meryl Streep to whoever it may be there are many frustrations there are different kinds of frustrations you know there's just a basic need to need to eat and you know clothe yourself sure as that demand but there's but then it but then you know artistically you want to be doing the best work you can and sometimes that's not possible and you have to take a job just for the money or for the exposure rather than the you know the sheer love of it so it's it's always a balancing a balancing act but I'm grateful that I'm still here after almost 20 years you know still bashing away you know my career has been you know it hasn't I've never had a job that is just sort of propelled me into stardom it's been sort of fairly constant you know chipping away
0: obviously here in America we don't have a royal family but recently we've become obsessed all over again because one of our own is meant to marry Prince Harry an actress no less and so it's been very exciting here on this side of the pond I happen to know when you mentioned earlier that your dad was a vicar not only was he a vicar but he then became a vicar for the royal families do I have my facts correct?
1: You do. That's right. Yeah. For 15 years, he lived in uh, Windsor, just next door to the Queen Mother.
0: Break that down for me. Again, the girl from Teaneck. What did that mean for your family? What did that mean for you?
1: I'd left home. Uh, my brother was still there at home. Uh, my sister had left. But um, but it was, yeah, it was a kind of an extraordinary job, an extraordinary insight into another world. Um, and so his his job was to look after, you know, kind of religious affairs of, the queen and the royal family when they were in Windsor at the castle and the queen has a private chapel uh in the what's called the great park which is the you know the big stretch of land that you know is adjacent to the castle yeah yeah so he got got to you know get to know them really really well um he saw them you know every week at least once yeah I mean it's an extraordinary extraordinary experience especially you know as the the royal family has evolved so much. Has changed over the last, well, since Diana, I suppose. So that's 20 years, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, he's been. He was at. He was there throughout all the kind of, I suppose, the uh, a kind of royal revolution.
0: And so, did you get to know any of the members of the family?
1: Um, I wouldn't say no. I mean, I know. I mean, I, I've met most of them. Uh, I've sung for most. of the, I did. I sang at the Queen's 90th birthday party, which was a, a, a great honor and uh, great fun. Um, I've sung for Prince Charles a number of times. Um, so I've, I sort of still have sort of connections there, I suppose, but I, I wouldn't say I was like great mates with any of
0: them. Yet. Well, I guess Meghan Markle will not be acting anymore, right? Like she's sort of saying that she's not going to do that.
1: I wouldn't know how these things work, but I, you know, I would have thought that she'd want to continue with her work um whether that you know runs contrary to uh, royal duties i'm not too sure but i think given the modern way that those boys sort of live lead their lives i don't know I'm, i mean she's a smart girl isn't she i'm sure she'll she'll be doing something interesting and you know worthwhile yeah i don't know enough about her to be honest with you
0: right I'd be hard pressed to not talk about Downton with you because that was a really magical show that really took off internationally, Mm. which you got to be a part of. And I know it had already sort of left the station when you joined it. And I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about your experience. I thought you were amazing on it. And I love all the different hairstyles you have on all the different jobs that you do, by the (laughs) way. (laughs) (laughs) Do you like your hair?
1: I like my hair. Yeah.
0: yeah. Does it work for I you? I don't, I don't
1: dislike it. I mean, I, it's not like I get up in the morning and go, God, I've got gray hair. You
0: don't. Oh, all right. <laughs> I think you had a middle part in Downton. I don't know. I like
1: changing up. I like changing my appearance. I guess that's sort of an actory kind of thing. Yeah. But I, you know, I do like, like in Nightfall, for example, I don't think many people would recognize me. If, I can't imagine anyone's going to recognize me on the street from the, from Nightfall because it is a completely different, uh, you know, look.
0: If you wear the tunic and that cap, Perhaps, but without that, I would imagine you are correct.
1: You would be anonymous. Yeah, exactly. Which I quite like, really. Um, I quite like disappearing into other people. But, um, yeah, Downton was, um, well, I don't know. I mean, I I, I feel like I had not very much to do over a period of about two years. I remember sort of saying one line every two or three weeks It's quite, I mean, it was, I have to say, it was a a joy to be involved in it. Lovely people, great to be in a show that people watch, especially in America, had such a following, Um, you know, the sort of hysteria, really, that that surrounded it. It's lovely. It was a great experience in that respect.
0: And they brought you the entire cast over for the SAG Awards, which I thought was amazing And that you were part of the ensemble at that point, has made you a Screen Actors Guild award-winning actor for life.
1: I guess so, yeah, I mean that's nice isn't it i mean yeah. i have a I have an award somewhere in the house which is which is lovely mm. uh, I don't know whether I deserve it i mean i don't know how much of that award is actually really down to me, but I'll take it
0: <laughs> no one's asked for it back
1: <laughs> no one well, not yet anyway um no i mean you know it's it's great it's great um I try to sort of make the character as as much of a kind of a foil to Michelle as possible, and I felt like that. Um, um, you know, when I was asked whether I'd be interested in doing it, I said. To, I remember having a you know discussion with Julian Fellows about, you know, and my feelings were that that the, the show needed a, a, a stronger sort of male kind of someone to stand up to her. So it was quite fun to sort of try and to kind of make to create someone, um, you know, with that in mind. And I felt, yeah, I felt. Sometimes I felt it frustrating because there are so many characters and so many storylines that are, that are, you know, kind of squeezed into an hour of television. You don't get an awful lot of chance. Um, sometimes I felt frustrated I didn't get enough, you know, meat on the bone. But um, at the end of the day, you know, I'm just an actor and I, I was very happy to be in the number one show on television.
0: Did you know Tom Cullen before?
1: I did not. No, I did not. So we met on that. Um, and it's been lovely to be you know to be to be back with him
0: on nightfall
1: yeah and he's you know he's uh he's really grown i think as a as an actor
0: and his muscles as well
1: he has he Physically. did quite
0: the workout for for nightfall you did not have to do boot camp with those guys right
1: my workout was in the uh craft was service the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the uh, public houses of prague which are you know heavy duty carbohydrates yes lots of dumplings and um all that all that stuff um no i mean i'm i uh he's a really he he led the cast extremely well tom and the show and it was lovely to see him you know i can't really sort of flower um i think he's a you know he's much younger than me and much more successful and he uh, i think he's going to do great you know great interesting work uh, in the future so
0: why how old is he
1: Oh, he's probably at least ten years younger than me. Really? yeah I absolutely. know it doesn't seem it's my skin regime that keeps me looking
0: yes I thought exactly you look like twins to me well I do feel like because of Tom Cullen and because of your performance and a lot of the nightfall ensemble of actors there's lots of blood and gore and sort of the Game of Thrones genre that make people really happy right now but I felt like by having you at the center all of you incredible actors what really comes through is the drama and the and the human need that each of these people are are experiencing. And when you said that William Denugaret's childhood had been sort of brutal, I feel like that gives great insight into why he at times can be not the nicest guy in the world and to kind of have a humanizing aspect of it for yourself in terms of it's really not fun to play a villain who's just a villain.
1: I mean, I never think of him as a villain. I mean, I think you're right. I think, you know, uh, there's a few kind of aims for the show. One of the big aims was to, was to you know, it was a military show, mm-hmm. you know, so there's action. And personally, I find, you know, kind of action rather dull, unless the story is interesting. I'm, I'm sort of bored of CGI. I'm bored of I'm bored of superheroes. Right. I'm bored of just endless people getting killed.
0: <laughs> I know. Um It's not and, interesting. To and me. when you have little kids it's also you have a whole other perspective on that.
1: Take a film like Dunkirk for example which you know there's obviously a lot of there's there's you know it was a very very brutal um experience but the the way the film you know worked for me was you saw the human side of it you saw the wonderful way that he's able to embroider um all these sort of characters around this very very bloody you know day of history and and i think that nightfall over the course of 10 episodes even though there is quite a lot of claret you know spurting around yeah. there's a lot of human really good you know uh, well worked you know investigated human drama that i think um sort of deepens as you get to know the characters and as the show you know, continues, and i I think that it's it gets better and better as it goes along.
0: Oh, that's really exciting, so one thing I ask all of my guests is if they can think of what is now maybe in retrospect humorous, but at the time was one of the hardest audition scenarios they'd ever been in maybe it even borders on humiliating but it's mm. funny now does something come to mind of an audition story that would make people out there feel less alone by hearing julian's uh version of a really haywire experience in an audition room
1: oh god i've got about 30 <laughs> i mean i've got i've got hundreds i the first audition i did in america yeah it was for brian singer it was for uh the pilot of house do you remember house yes with you of lot? course And I did. I start. I was. I was terrified. We were in uh, Sony, or I come with one of those big studios, or Fox, or something like that. And he um, and I started the the thing, and he fell asleep. (laughs) He did not. He actually (laughs) fell asleep.
0: So what happens when
1: someone had to? The cars had to wake him up. Okay. There was another another one where I was doing. It was some comedy audition which was really going really badly, and I I was I was sitting on a sofa in an office somewhere, and I leant and it was terrible. It was really awful, and I was really struggling to try and make anyone laugh. And I leant back onto the wall, and somehow I I, I don't know my head hit the wall quite hard, and it dislodged a <laughs> uh, a large clock that was hanging above me, and the clock fell right. <laughs>
0: Onto my lap. Uh-huh.
1: So there I was holding this clock, not really knowing what oh, it's just a disaster.
0: And that job, my friends.
1: Yeah, yeah. Was, I did is when not, that,
0: that was done. for Pokemon.
1: I mean, I could I could bore you for hours on, on things that have happened, but um But those two that sort of stick stick in my mind for now, anyway.
0: And don't you just find it remarkable that you got up the next day and decided to do it again? Like, there's (laughs) something,
1: there's something. I know, that's true. But you do. I mean, you know, um, it is a strange, it is a strange profession, because there's no rhyme or reason to it. You know, if I was a classical pianist, and I practiced, and I was pretty damn good, Mm. then... You could rationalize what jobs I was, I was, you know, right for, what jobs I could get. There's a scale, you know. But for acting, there are thousands of actors out there who are making a lot of money, who are rubbish. Yeah. Do you <laughs> want to they, name uh, some of them? No, I would never even name <laughs> No, But you know what I mean. And there are totally. a lot of actors, one, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful actors who can't get a look in. And that's just the nature. Some people just... and there's luck There's a lot of luck involved or there's a look involved or there's a a zeitgeist involved that you know you're in the right place at the right time and suddenly you're very very successful um and and it's something you can you know give up for a while and then come back to i mean i always think that it's it's a craft and to get really really good and to be able to kind of do different things and play different characters then it it takes application it takes years and years and years and you look at something like one of my heroes, Mark Rylance, who, you know, kind of just going on and on and on and on and on. A lot of theatre. And now suddenly he's, you know, reaping the fruits of... Of being a movie star. Yeah, which is great. Good for him because he's so wonderful. Amazing actor. Well, I just
0: have to say, as someone who really has spent an extraordinary amount of time researching your work and watching your work and having, having known it before I even knew I was going to have the privilege of interviewing you. I mean, you've kind of been on all of my, my guilty pleasures, so I thank you. Mm-hmm. I thank you for that. But I just want to say that you are one of the most gifted, talented artists working right now. I really encourage anyone who hasn't heard Julian sing To do so, whether you get one of his albums or just listen to the.
1: Should you be my agent? Can you do agents to people? (laughs) Are you managing? Yes, it's called.
0: It's called Offer Only. That's it. I can't deal with anything. You either want my guy or you don't want my guy. He's not auditioning. He's done everything possible from Sondheim to Nightfall. Seriously, what else do we... Look at his hair. Look at all his hairstyles. You're worried about him looking the part. But seriously, I just think you are an extraordinary talent. And the fact that we in the U.S. get to... um, enjoy you in person when you come to theater here. Your concerts are extraordinary. Your ability to sing, you know, a a song from Carousel makes me weep. And um, I'm just so happy that I got this time with you. And you really bring such integrity and incredible nuance and depth to every role you play. Uh, in every genre. It's really extraordinary. So I I consider myself lucky to have had this time with you today. And I hope, you know, we have a mutual friend in Kelly O'Hara. And I know that there's some potential singing the two of you are going to do together shortly.
1: Well, there was a chance of doing a musical maybe together at one stage. Yeah. But it didn't work out in the end. But um, uh, yeah, I think we're going to do a concert in February. At Lincoln Center, right? Yes, I think so. Yeah. And then maybe one day... Um, you know, do a do a proper show. If yes.
0: If I'd like to see the two of you at Royal Albert Hall if that's all right.
1: Yeah, that would be nice. Well, Julian,
0: <laughs> it's such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for coming on the podcast. It's just been extraordinary. And um until next time.
1: Until next time.
0: Wow. Find out more at promedia.nyc.